everyone. I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here, you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome wherever you are tuning in today to Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. And we are delighted to welcome back to the show the wonderful Nicholas Kemp, using your full name today. <laughs> uh, Nick is, uh, let me, hang on, I've, I've scrolled down too far in my notes and I've lost his, uh, his overview, but he is, I think he says, a husband, a father, not mine, um, a Japanologist, a researcher. I'm doing so well. I feel like I haven't recorded for a while, but he's laughing, <laughs> so it's good. Um, a solopreneur and author, most importantly, of Ikigai Cam, Feel a Life Worth Living, as you can see here. Um, and he is the founder and head coach of Ikigai Tribe, which is a community of educators, psychologists, coaches, and trainers uh, who are serving their personal communities all around the world using the Ikigai mm. concept. So yes, as you saw, uh, well, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you can see me sharing the book prop here as a prop, lovely. And I've read some, but not all of it, being fully honest with you there. But um, last time Nick was on in December 2021, it's episode 18 of uh, season one. He was saying, I'm writing this book, it's nearly ready. And now here it <laughs> is in the world. So congratulations, Nick, and welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back on and celebrating the book with me. It's a real joy and it's sort of hard to believe. It's it's so weird to say, oh, I'm an author. <laughs> I'm self-published, so let's get that straight. But yeah, um, it's a real joy to be on your show to discuss Ikigai and writing and all other wonderful things. Well, before we get into uh, several topics, which we were talking about in the planning, maybe you can just explain to people what Ikigai Kam is, as opposed to Ikigai, first of all. Okay. So this is sort of two things. It's a acknowledgement of Kami Amiko, who I like to think of as the mother of Ikigai, and she was mm. this pioneering researcher who you know, who wrote this incredible book, Ikigai Nitsuiteri, in 19... It was published in 1966. I think it took us seven years to, to complete it. And she defined Ikigai as you have sources of Ikigai, which could be relationships, experiences, uh, memories, things you look forward to. And then you have Ikigai Khan, which is feeling. So Khan means feeling, emotion, perception, awareness. So it highlights the fact that Ikigai is something we feel. It's not something we chase or earn or achieve. And that was this epiphany for me when I read that. It's like, oh, yeah, Ikigai is it's feeling that life is worth living. It's that zest. It's that intimacy. It's all those wonderful feelings that make you think, damn, it's good to be alive. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's why I went with Khan, and that's also the as you'd know, the country on the cover, yeah, which is this kind of dynamic but beautiful, well-balanced kanji. It's one of those really hard ones to explain, but we, we both know at the bottom is kokoro or mm. shin, which means, you know, mind, heart, spirit sort of combined as one. So, 
yeah, it's fascinating um, when you look at the kanji and then this this definition of mikokamiya. Yeah, so that's why I named it Ikigai Khan. Wonderful. So a great um, celebration of uh, Kamiya-san's research and writings, as well as focusing on that idea of the feeling of it, the lived experience of Ikigai, which I think is is so important and so expansive. And one thing, so many things I felt uh, (laughs) reading your book, (laughs) um, but one thing that I loved as the message and the story was about the expansiveness. And we'll get onto that in a moment. But I also wanted to just spend, just let you know, when I was reading the early chapters around Kamiya, uh, Kamiya-san, I was so moved. And reading it as a feminist, I was like, wow, how how hemmed in she was <laughs> by the societal restraints, uh, what was expected of her. And it, it just made me think that there are, are maybe many people who, for whatever reason, can't necessarily pursue, mm. you know, especially the hataraki guy part, like the 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 worth work do worth worth. That's hard to say. Work, work worth, worth doing. doing. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> say that ten times and fast. No thanks. I can't even say it once. Um, people who aren't able to necessarily explore that in the way that they imagine that they want to, but still, she has found a way. Um, and I thought it was fascinating what you shared of her writings on that. So I just wanted to say thank you for um, for bringing light to that. I hadn't ever thought about her experience in that way before. So it really made me quite emotional, actually. When I was reading oh, it. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I got it got me thinking, and I touched on this in the book when we talk about philosophy or psychology or even positive psychology, we, we constantly hear this phrase, the father's of you know, the, the <laughs> father of positive psychology and women just don't get recognized. And I just thought here you have this amazing woman who was incredibly successful, both as a doctor, uh, a researcher. She became a professor. She apparently she tutored uh, Princess Michiko, the f- former Empress of Japan. She was even a interpreter during, during the Tokyo war crimes trial. Wow. So she has the most incredible CV. Yet even for her, all those achievements wasn't her ikigai. Her ikigai was writing and she pursued that much later in her life. And I'm I'm wondering how many other possible, you know, vehicle cameos are out there in, in Japan and all these other countries that we'll never get to know about because we just don't hear about them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we've we've got to recognise the contribution women make. And it also makes me think, imagine how many potential cameo miracles there were and they just never got a chance yeah. because you've got to stay in the home. And as that horrible Japanese kanji of kanai, which is <laughs> woman in the house, yes. uh, meaning wife, um, just made me think, wow, what a loss, what a potential loss of of wisdom and perspective and insight we'll, we'll never get to read about. Mm, yeah. Mm. It's um, reminded me, I'll have to find the link to put in the show notes later, but I read a story about a woman who was looking for something on Wikipedia about a specific scientist and realized that this female scientist's work was not on Wikipedia and she's now gone and created like over 1700 Wikipedia entries for unrecognized oh. female scientists. There's a story wow. about her that I shared this week. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Fantastic. 
experience. So, you know, just people who, if, if you're noticing and being aware of and like raising the profile of these talents or whoever underrepresented they are in whatever uh, environment we're in, it doesn't have to just be women. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing to do to allow people to stretch and to have their impact in the world yeah. as well. So, yeah, but this isn't the main thing I want to talk about, uh, <laughs> but I wanted to raise it before I forgot. Uh, what I really wanted to get into was um, what you learned about your own Ikigai um, <laughs> and your experience of it through writing the book and through, you know, bringing the book into the world, making it a living thing, <laughs> making it ikiteiru. Yes. This is funny because even today I said to a friend in the States, we were on Zoom, I said, you know, I actually hate writing. I just have so much negativity associated to it that's just so ingrained from struggling with English and grammar and spelling at school. And I realized, I think I realized today I'm still choosing to hate writing when I could actually like it. And now I, I think I do like writing, but the book taught me to embrace my limitations. And I felt very limited with my writing. And I thought I really care about this subject of Ikigai. So I've got to be willing to embrace my limitations, get help. And if I can express my values through my writing, so being diligent, being honest, being respectful to the concept, and also being, I guess, in a way, intimate, yeah, it should be okay and I'll, I'll, I'll get through it, even though there were some days I thought, <laughs> I'll never get through this, uh, this book. And I think I shared with you, and I, sh I write this in the book, that one day I vented my frustrations to my wife. You know, I'm saying, oh, this book's driving me nuts. I just can't seem to string a sentence together. And she sort of casually, matter-of-factly said, well, you know, you are doing the one thing you're most terrible at. <laughs> I was like you know okay well that actually is true <laughs> but yeah it taught me to to understand that icky guys it's not always going to be something that's you know blissful or enjoyable it's going to be something that helps you grow mm -hmm. it's something you might have to in a way kind of fight for or push yourself for because if you do care about something and it does motivate you to live and it does almost encourage you to self-actualize it won't always be easy so i think i learned that from the from the book like writing is not my ikigai but writing about ikigai became my ikigai and yeah it was a year investment and i had to embrace this idea of limitations i will mm. need help and i got help from an amazing person someone who was in my first cohort of Ikigai tribe, Dr. Caitlin Kite, who happened to be a technical editor. So, and she was the best editor I could have ever wished for. So I was extremely lucky to, to have her supporting me. And that was very intimate. You're, you're, you're writing all these very personal thoughts and ideas, and you're sharing it with one person first. Mm. <laughs> you're thinking, oh, is this strange? Or am I going too deep here? Or and I got very, you know, very constructive, positive uh, feedback. She would challenge me on things. She would encourage me on things. And sometimes I would push back and then she'd write 
yeah, I'm glad you pushed back on this point because you needed to. Yeah. Mm. So that was it. I th- I think I was self-actualizing by writing this book right. to some degree. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I have so many questions as always. Tell me um, a little bit more about what self-actualizing means for you. Well, that is a wonderful question. I think it's a combination of being true to your values, using your unique imagination to express yourself. And I guess I'm stealing from Kamiya sensei here to create something new. And Mm. so, I mean, many people can write a book, but no one will ever write the same book that I've written. And that is a contribution. And then my thoughts and words for the most part. And yeah, you really have to go deep and almost have this heart to heart conversation with yourself. And some people might interpret that to be, you know, you're, you're opening, opening yourself up to vulnerability, but that's probably, I'd like to frame it as releasing yourself as, as Ken Moggy does. Mm. Um, so I think that's what self-actualization is. You're using your unique imagination to express yourself. And in the process, you create something new and it's your contribution to, to your community or to the world or, you know, to, to someone else. That's really beautiful, Nick. Thank you. Thank mm. you for sharing that. I love that um, perspective and thinking about the idea um, you quoted uh, Kobayashi Tsukasa um, right at the end of the book as well. And his quote, and I'm going to find it, page 161, because I wrote it down. Um, <laughs> yeah. I quote a lot self, of people. Self-realization. So. <laughs> Here it is. I've got it. Real ikigai is more than that. This is like talking uh, about like playing gateball or writing haiku or work or something. People can feel real ikigai only when, on the basis of personal maturity, the satisfaction of various desires, love and happiness, encounters with others, and the sense of value of life, they proceed towards self-realization. I thought that was great. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that kind of makes it quite serious, though, doesn't it, in a way? <laughs> it becomes very heavy. So, and as you know, I present this idea that someone like Ken Mucky will say, ikigai is everywhere. It's in your morning cup of coffee. It's, it's in your daily run. Or you have someone like Kobayashi saying, no, 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 that's a sobi guy. And, you know, your work's your hataraki guy. Ikigai is, yes, it's really getting at the core of who you are. And you can only get to the core of who you are after you go through those things of, you know, love and, and growth. So I don't know what the answer is. I think it's sort of this, this spectrum, but with that core idea of getting to know who you are and self-actualizing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's interesting to to talk about that idea of self-actualization, self-realization as this journey. And um, one thing I wanted to talk about with you. So, you know, along the journey, so you accepted, you embraced your limitations. It wasn't easy. So I think it's good to uh, just alert people that pursuing <laughs> these feelings of, you know, the Ikigai can might, might not always be uh, sweetness and light and every single moment of it because it has that element of growth and like coming mm. up against edges of your yourself and overcoming them. But this idea as well that, yeah, on the journey, do we reach it? But you've definitely achieved a milestone. And, and one thing which has happened with me when I feel like I've been working towards a goal, 
I've kind of got there and and I thought there would be, you know, the pot of gold, <laughs> literal or otherwise, or just the some kind of sense of, you know, amazement or achievement. And and often I felt it felt quite flat. Yeah. Not what mm. I expected. And maybe the key word is in expectation. So I wanted to hear a little bit for from you about, you know, from when we spoke last year and now that your book is out in the world, how has hitting that milestone of publishing, yeah, impacted where you are on your Ikigai journey? It's been very positive. Uh, like you said, I, I, did, I certainly didn't have any sort of elation or <laughs> there certainly wasn't a pot of gold that uh, appeared on my doorstep <laughs> or anything. I think I was very aware that the once I wrote the book, that would mean now, you know, I'm going to have to market the book and sell it. And because I have that background in marketing, I thought, mm. well, it's not going to end there. But I had this sense of relief and almost, yeah, no no regret. Like there's no sense like, oh, I should have written more on this or I should have done that. And even when we got the first 50 copies published you know there was a ton of typos in them all and I just thought oh well what do you expect that's that's going to happen with me but getting it all out was this relief and I was very kind of yeah there was this this happiness like oh mm. you did it man you did the one thing you know you're not really good at and well done like good for you kind of attitude and I've never really had that self-talk before I'm pretty critical of myself you know you're a loser and you're stuffed up again kind of um self-talk is quite common for me so yeah the book was this relief and something I could sort of celebrate within myself and I, I didn't have to have a you know a book launch party or it was just like oh I did it awesome now I can sell it. And I guess if I felt something was wrong with the book, I mean, I wouldn't be talking to you today because I'd be thinking, oh, I've got to fix this or I'm not ready yet. So it is that acceptance of yourself and what I've expressed in the book. And yeah, who knows? There'll be people who will, this is what Ken Moggy said to me one day. He said, Nick, there'll be someone listening to your podcast podcast and same for you who will really get something out of it and they'll just never take the time to thank you because you know we're busy in life and we're doing all these things and so that might be the same for the book that it might impact someone and even though they might not let me know that that doesn't really matter as long as it it helps someone and it gives them a chance to reflect on life or even if they kind of disagree with some aspects of the book and it it encourages them to think a little bit differently yeah you've had some contribution so yeah it's sort of the first piece of writing I'm really comfortable with (laughs) so there's this relief like I did it so and I love that it's given you that that sense of pride as well Mm. you know and and change some of the self-talk that you have around something that you thought was a limitation and you've you've been able to overcome that in an astounding way right <laughs> to to uh write some blog posts is quite different to writing a book and to to stick with it and get through those hard times and to find the right support it's and it's it's great that it's had that internal impact on you that you've gone wow yeah this was something worth doing for myself 
And I think we'd also talk uh, when we were, were planning this episode, not only about, I, I love what uh, Moggy Sensei has shared with you about people might not always have time to uh, to thank you. So that's a mm. great reminder for everyone when we like put work out into the world, not everyone's going to tell you what it meant to them, but that doesn't no. mean it <laughs> meant nothing. Um, but obviously, you know, the interwebs. So sometimes people really enjoy spending time to tell you um, how it didn't uh, connect with them. Um, and so <laughs> you, you wrote a really intriguing comment, actually, in, in the notes. And I was asking you about like integrating Ikigai. And you said uh, it might be challenged by others. And we talked uh. about like uh, not getting too <laughs> attached to people's reactions as well. So I wonder if you could just talk to those points because it had intrigued me. I mean, this is really important because if something gives your life meaning, mm. whether that's a hobby, uh, a potential career path, um, a person that you fall in love with and there are other people in your life who don't accept that, in a way they are threatening your Ricky guy. So it is something you might have to in a way, fight for. And I think it goes back to this idea of you're, you're trying to live your values. Um, mm. And you've, you've almost got two options. You compromise and you decide, oh, all right, well, I'll, I'll compromise for these people, whether they're my parents or friends or my employer, or you don't. And then you you might have to make a very hard decision. You might have to have some conflict with someone or leave a job or end a relationship. Um, so I, I think, yeah, when you're challenged by people who test your ikigai sources, the, these mm -hmm. things that give you ikigai, it's almost a value challenge. And I think a lot of people tragically live life in conflict with their values every day. They're in mm. a relationship they shouldn't be. They're doing a job they honestly don't like. They dread today. They dread Monday. Mm. Well, they dread they dread it so much. They don't even dread Sunday. They actually dread Saturday night because they know they're going to be thinking about how much they hate Sunday because they know they have to go to work the next day. <laughs> so, wow, to see them coming, yes, yeah, the Sunday night. <laughs> As I sound yeah, so, it's well known in Japan, but uh, <laughs> it's the TV, the TV show, uh, comic, comic? No, what am I saying? Cartoon, which is raised every Sunday night and there's a Sazai-san syndrome of people start to go, oh, as I has been on, which means it's Sunday night at whatever so, clock. Yeah. I can't remember six or five thirty. So therefore, yeah, tomorrow I've yeah. got to go and live in conflict with my values. Yeah, and that's a tragedy. So I'm not sure if I answer the question, but yeah, it's it matters because you're not living the life you want, and that means you're you're living in in conflict with your values. And sometimes it goes so deep you forget what your values. Ah, your your personal intimate, um, you know, Ken Moggy says your sentimental values. You've mm. you've lost them. Um and don't let someone do that to you is probably mm. my message. Mm. And just 
maintain your ikigai or fight for your ikigai in a respectful, um, you know, pragmatic, thoughtful way. Yeah, so that's it's kind of weird to say, but that's what I honestly think. And people will be critical of your ikigai. Mm-hmm. And because people tend to be critical <laughs> of everything. <laughs> <laughs> There's that self-talk coming up. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think it's really. it's really valuable because often a lot of people that I'm working with, and I'm sure for yourself too, and guests that I've had on the podcast, what it has meant to them to, as you said, um, yeah, fill up your life with with as many different sources or as much ikigai as you want has sometimes meant bucking the trend or changing something about how they show up in the world, whether that's emotionally, spiritually, or like physically in terms of the things that they're doing every day. And um, one of uh, my coaches, Jim Fortin, talks about, you know, when you're changing, when you're transforming, the reason people fight against it is you've just Mm -hmm. sort of broken their mode of reality and it might be like, oh, Nick has taken up, you know, calligraphy. Oh, okay, that I'm fine with that. But Nick has suddenly turned our living room into a calligraphy studio and I don't have anywhere to sit. Not so good with that. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, there's more, more serious ways that people uh, are doing that. And, you know, things like someone was talking about one partner, like, decides I'm going to transform my health. I'm going to change how I eat, how I move. And the other partner's like, no, no, you, no. <laughs> Even though it's the right thing for both of them, they don't want to go on that journey for themselves. Um, and they also don't want their partner to go on that journey too. So I think what you're saying about like fighting for, it's really, it's sort of, uh, it's, a, it's a bit depressing, a bit dark, yeah. but also like brutally honest and important to know. I was reading this book which says guide counseling for those of you who are on listening on the podcast and it's by a man called ichiro tsurata and it's it's only in japanese and within the or within the introduction he quotes or he, he says i've studied the work of miko kamiya and he quotes from her book and he says or in the the quote is there's nothing more necessary for humans to live a vibrant life than Ikigai. Mm. And that, I mean, that's me translating it. And I thought, wow, that is true. It's it's not just life. It's the vibrant life. It's the, the life you wish to have. And you've got to find your Ikigai. And if you are one of these people, yeah, perhaps you're, the people around you and you feel, that, oh, they've got their Ikigai, embrace that, support the Ikigai of, other, of others, and then try and find your own. Uh, rather than trying to stop someone explore their ikigai, even if it seems bizarre or odd. Because <laughs> we want to embrace that idea of supporting the ikigai of others rather than, you know, blocking. Mm, yeah. Well, yeah. if I can't have ikigai, neither can you. You know, we don't want to have <laughs> that one. No, yes. that's not the vibe we're, we're bringing into the world. Uh, so let's say I'm in the situation or one of our listeners is going, oh, yes, yes, Nick, I'm hearing it all, but well, I walked How do I find it? Like, what are some of the, <laughs> the top tips? I know, uh, top tips even. And I know you don't love a hack, but if you can hack Ikigai for someone, like what they can do tomorrow, what's the one thing you, you'd recommend? Yes, yeah, so this goes to the idea it's, it's there. You just need to uncover it 
Mm. And so one way is to go back to probably not your childhood, but maybe your teenage years or early adult years, um, if you're <laughs> not a young adult, and, mm-hmm. and go back to the hobbies you pursued, the the things that that gave you that zest for life, or the things you thought about doing that you never got around to trying. So there's there's plenty of things. And then if you're really saying, oh, there's nothing, learn, learn something, learn mm. something new, start something. And that, that's from that psychometric tool, the Higai 9. Yeah. Start something new or learn something because that's learning and that leads to growth and that leads to self-exploration and eventually self-expression. Or connect with an old friend. We talked about that last time. Call mm. an old friend, help an old friend, because Ikigai is also very much tied to your social world. And so there's a friend you could probably call today and say, hey, been a long time. How are you going? What's news? Remember that time we you know, broke into a train station? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, let's get into this story. <laughs> when did you break into a train station? Uh, apparently, allegedly. Officer. No, no, no. I never did me. that. <laughs> it was an oddly, oddly uh, impressive, like very strong, it's not the word I'm looking for, very strong memory there. Specific, mm. specific breaking into a train station. Activity. So mm. we've got, first is, so go back to your teenage or young adult years. And I was grinning um, as you said that, because, you know, the pictures behind me coming back to art um, that was something I spent so much time. I was every morning before school, lunchtime, sometimes after school in the art studio. We had this amazing teacher, Mrs. Nelson. And like, that was just the time I would be in flow. Um, I was also always learning. And so coming back to that in lockdown, and then now I've got, you know, this burgeoning illustration practice and doing art every day. Um, yeah, like, that's a, it's a great tip, I could say, from my lived experience, um, finding those things. Or oh, I love those things that you never quite pursued mm. as well, and you always thought it would be cool to, but for whatever reason, access wasn't possible for you at that time. I think that's a great hint too, learning something, anything. Learning. Yeah. yeah. There's so I mean, we're in such an information-rich environment. Um, I'm thinking uh, we had the great guest previously so we had uh Jessica Garrity who talked about her kudo practice which like took her a while to get into from first becoming knowledgeable of kudo and then I think it was a seven-year gap where she actually got to a dojo and then also uh Justin Sanders Saunders oh no I forgot my guest name that's terrible um but he talks about education like continuing education uh, when he was uh, head at uh, Temple University and Mm -hmm one of their students is like this guy in his 90s he takes a course you know every semester <laughs> something different now he's learning chinese or whatever so just having that this is information rich environment right mm. you can find courses anywhere everywhere if you're listening to this podcast you've got access to the internet so yeah and it's i mean that's yeah we we are lucky and privileged to be living in this time we can almost learn anything for free or for you know very cheap to learn something now Mm. it's less than a hundred dollars you can probably get enough information that's is probably better in quality and content than you know some (laughs) university courses 
One other thing is developing a new healthy habit. And I go walking every day and there is some sort of switch or turning point where your body craves it and you, you just body says, get up and let's do it. Let's go on this walk. I have this beautiful park land area that once I sort of enter into, it almost feels like I'm in a national park. Oh, wow. And I have found this kookaburra, this Australian bird. Yes. That I get to meet at a peak, depending on the time, almost every morning. And he. <laughs> is he sitting on the old gum tree? Merry, merry king of the bushes, he? That's all. He, he about often a kookaburra. is. <laughs> and I. Well, wow, I saw you yesterday. Hey, buddy. And I often don't take my phone because I really want to switch it off. Yeah. But I got these amazing photos of him. I, I know um, our audience listening won't see them, yes. but. You could check- share them and then we yeah. can we can put them in the socials for this. Oh, yeah. hello. That's and he's cute. like a little, Aww. just in my imagination, yeah. he's sort of a little friend. But you have this opportunity to see the beauty of the world and experience small self like you you go into what feels like a national park and you mm. see and hear these these sounds of nature the birds tweeting and the the breeze or the wind and the the, the light coming through the, the leaves and this sensory experience is very pleasurable and you can breathe and walk slowly and take it all in and you notice these beautiful flowers or just all these things that you don't allow yourself to enjoy because you're running around like a crazy person trying to get all these things done so if you have a new habit that centers you and grounds you and you stick to it for about a couple weeks the body will crave it and you'll yeah, that'll become another ikigai source. You'll you'll want to do that. And I didn't do that this morning and I'm slightly off. So mm-hmm. I usually do it at sort of 6.30 yeah. and I got on a call at 7, so I, I couldn't do it. And so You're all a bit even though I went for a walk. Yeah. yeah so, so it's we should be clear that ikigai is not the solution. It's not like the be all and end all. It's, it's as Gordon Matthew says, ikigai is sort of the, the beginning of the pursuit of a life worth living. So once you found your ikigai, you you want to keep growing, you want to keep learning, you want to mm. keep moving. Oh, I love that sort of addictive, addictive quality of ikigai. Yeah. Uh, first way to phrase it. Now, you 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 mentioned the very interesting word that might have got lost, but you talked about small self, um, uh, and you mentioned that in the book. So could you just talk a little bit more about small self and how it relates to ikigai as well? Yeah, so small self is the the experience of awe, really. So mm. you. And the best way to do that is to go in nature and you you go into nature and you could see a waterfall or huge trees or you see nature in play and you begin to understand, wow, the, the world's much bigger than this. All this is going on and I'm a part of it, but I'm just a small but feel and important part of it because you you are alive you're you're here and now so you're part of this this world but yeah you can witness things and if you're very careful you witness amazing things going on just all around you all sort of um, serendipitously happening Mm. you really don't know how it's all happening and you yeah I think it it centers you and makes you realize oh there's a lot 
going on <laughs> and then just my <laughs> problems. You know? yeah. And it's opened you up to, and this is again, touching on Kami Miko's work, the possibility of Heng Kaku Taiken, which is some sort of transformation. Mm. And you often hear people, they go off into nature and they, they find God or they have some experience. And maybe it's not that they find God, they just, they allow themselves to experience nature and have this sense of awe mm. and small self. And it inspires change and it, it flicks a switch where they go, I want to change my life or there, there's a calling or there's, there's something happens and your mind opens up and yeah, you, you gain an understanding, a, a broader and deeper understanding of, of the world around you. And in that case, yeah, there's nothing to be embarrassed about by being small. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually kind of like a form of growth. You know? Yes. Good. I'm so glad that we, uh, we got that explanation because I think that that feeling of awe and like searching mm. it out, you talked about nature. It made me think, I was thinking, when was the recent time that I, I felt awe? And for me, I get a lot of feelings of awe and small self and but but maybe it's like the the big self of humanity in performance like watching someone else's performance so I was lucky enough to go and see Lady Gaga when she came to Tokyo and you know the music and the costumes and the the oneness of the crowd like 40,000 mm. people who had been like cooped up in lockdown for two years and yes, they were being told, you know, keep your masks on and don't shout. But most people kept their masks on, but we were all all screaming <laughs> and dancing. And just being like, look at this artist and look at all these amazing dancers and look all the people. I'm getting like uh, goosebumps talking goosebumps, about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think anything that can inspire goosebumps is, is worth uh, seeking out. But then on like another totally different scale, um, there's a gentleman near my house at the moment and we have an expo happening. Uh, till the end of the month in uh, Sumidoku in Kyojima. And every day this month at six o'clock, he goes out on the second floor of his Nagaya. It's like an old, old terraced house, I guess, is the translation of a Nagaya, like long terraced house. Anyway, uh -huh. and he plays his violin. Oh, and beautiful. he says, sings a little song and he says, it's a six o'clock or should I say, you know, it's a six o'clock announcement. <laughs> Hope you had a good day. Hope you had fun. And um, yeah, just a really beautiful moment. That yes, it's got Tanoshimi as well, which you talk about in the book, like mm. the idea of looking forward to it. It's got that idea of a habit that he's doing, but even being, as you said, like supporting others, Ikigai, turning yeah. up for him Beautiful. and saying, This matters to me. So thank you for doing mm. it. I think it's really, yeah, it's just a beautiful, a beautiful moment that makes me feel both small um, and connected as well. Mm. Well, I think it's one, another way we could understand it is you're, you're witnessing flow. So you're witnessing the flow mm. of that, that man playing the violin or uh, Lady Gaga's yeah. concert. Yeah. And that, that would be like a collective flow with her and her, her band and the yeah, other musicians. The but there was the, 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 sorry? I forgot to mention the band. I was so yeah, focused the, on the, the, band, yeah. the dancers. The dancers, the band, but also the audience. Yeah. And... Yeah, I, I write about that idea of captured flow, like the mm. the calligraphy behind behind me. If right. if someone came in the room and, and looked at this calligraphy, it would probably change their state or would capture their attention and that feels something. And that's 
yeah, it, there's something about art or music or nature that connects with us. And it's very hard to describe, but we gain a sense of comfort and peace and almost like a knowingness, like, oh, I'm going back to the source or I'm, I feel connected. And it's, yeah, it's very comforting for you probably to hear that violin and it's very emotional. So, yeah, it's the small self is this emotional, you know, awe experience and we should embrace that and try and experience that every day. Great, a great thing to be looking out for <laughs> in, our, in our daily busy lives. Mm. So if you have a final message, Nick, you'd like to share for listeners of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, what would it be? What's there next? <laughs> I don't want to come across cheap and say buy my book. but Well, do um... buy his book. It's excellent. <laughs> and leave a five-star review only because support yeah. other people's Ikigais or scroll That's on. It. Thanks. But um, Yeah, I guess if what I would say is I have so many people to thank for this book and there's a lot of quotes and one thing I really don't like doing is um, citations and I have about 200 citations so that was <laughs> that was hard doing all those citations so it is this uh, work that brings together all these different perspectives and so I, I write in the book that I'm you know, peering over the shoulders of these humble giants who have done years of research on Ikigai and other relatable concepts and so it's um, certainly a work that yeah tries to be you know respectful and honest and includes the work of many other people because yeah my, my life experience on Ikigai is quite limited and so that was also you know probably one of the reasons why it was an Ikigai for me was to bring this collective knowledge together as a way of saying thank you to people who've been on my podcast or you know, recognizing people who are no longer with us, like Kami Amiko. So, yeah. Um, so it's a collective kind of work. And I just pieced it together and shared a few stories. Just, just <laughs> a year. Very and easy. Yeah. Of, yeah. A year and something of work for someone who hates writing. Brilliant. Yes. Just, just threw it together just, over lunch. Just put it together over the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was the initial thought, what it would be. But uh, yeah, these, these projects take on a mind of their own. Um, so, yes, of course, we can um, buy your book. We'll have links in the show notes. Also, your Ikigai tribe, um, so people can connect if they want to start bringing um, some different Ikigai practices into their work, right? Mm. Yeah. Yes, um, if, you're, if you're interested in either learning the concept a bit more or if you are uh, transitioning maybe to coaching or, or anything like that or you're an educator and you, you think helping the others uh, feel their Ikigai would be of benefit, uh, please reach out to me through Ikigai Tribe. And I actually do have a book website. So it is ikigaikan.com. So that's that's where you can go. And I have put together a journal, actually, a journal. So the, the, like the back companion. cover of the book, mm. yeah, that is the front. Essentially, that's the front cover of the book. And that's touching on the, the eight Ikigai needs. Kamiya presented seven Ikigai needs in a book. And then for some reason, she then taught, she wrote on purpose separately. Hmm. So I do see a sense of purpose as being the sort of the eighth need. And maybe in today's world, it has become a need. We, hmm. we write or talk about 
desiring this sense of purpose and a unmet need is essentially a desire. So I decided to call it her eighth need. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that that companion with an book, asterisk. With an asterisk, yeah, with an asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> not for official <laughs> naming. But uh, no, yeah. So there, there's also that, and that was a lot easier to put together. That actually only took a weekend <laughs> because it's a so journal. The, yeah, the diagrammatic is there, and the journal is there to support like going deeper in the topics. Well, unfortunately, we are coming to the end of our time together, wow. but I'm so happy to have you back on as a guest and to see that you have had this brilliant launch and amazing book out there, and you're still podcasting, right? So people can still. Yeah, I've got one you. coming out this week. So there you go. And this 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 is actually a good one to end with. Uh, this term, rollfulness. So rollfulness. Roll. Yeah. So yeah, intriguing. Links in the show notes about <laughs> what what that means. I'm intrigued yeah. to dive into it, but no, we must we'll we'll save we'll that with just here. a little teaser. Um, you can listen to uh, the Ikigai Tribe <laughs> podcast with Nick. Um, thank you over on his channels too so thank you so much we wish you the best of luck with your book and hopefully you'll come back another time to let us know what's going on with your ikigai journey as it continues to uh, grow and to change one thing i think is really fascinating with my guests you know i'm meeting them when they're at a certain point in their life and then to come back in and the th you remember the thing that i talked about i was going to do i've done it now and then this is what's happening for me. So yeah, here's to your continued growth and feeling ikigai every day. Well, thank you for having me on again. It's real joy. And I'm going to be asking you something after we stop a recording. So All right, then. Well, another <laughs> teaser. Not previously on, but next week on. Uh, let's find out what happens to that. And it's been great to chat to you, Nick. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the end. And yes, please grab your copy of Ikigai Can by Nicholas Kemp. All right. Thank you. Thank you Thank very you much, so much, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.